All right, so we're going to continue our journey today uh, through... Genesis, or at least the first part of Genesis, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, the broken world <laughs> and how it got there and, and God's plan to fix it. Um, so, last week we talked about the creation, and we had several things that we talked about. Uh, we talked about the fact that God did it. He was behind it. We talked about how God is so powerful and so incredibly smart, and then we talked about how we as humans are the crown of the creation. Right, that we are the, the most important part of the whole creation process. And then we're going to move on today and talk about how humans blew it. All right? And, uh, and so uh, Adam and Eve in the story, they had an ideal situation. They had retirement at its best without having 40 years of work. Right? They, they had everything they could possibly want. They were the first humans. So uh, if, if you talk about the, the law of diminishing returns and creation, they were the best humans that ever, best looking humans that ever lived. They had each other. They had all the time in the world. And then they decided to mess up. So we're going to look at their mess up and see how it's affected us. So if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. I believe we're on page 3 as well. We're just going to read verses 1 through 13 and um, get a picture of the story of the, the fall of humankind, as we call it in theology. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And so remember, they were living in this ideal setting, and um, it was something worth keeping, being a part of. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, this being the serpent, he said to the woman, did, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You certainly will not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of, them, uh, the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I, saw, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me. She gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. All right. There's a lot here and, and, and several things that we could focus on and go different directions, but, but a couple I want to point out. And it's very real for all of us, okay? And, and when we look at the story, things really haven't changed that much. 
And, and I want to point that out as we go through this. Uh, humanity is still humanity. And we still mess up a lot. Right? So the first thing that I want us to see is that sin begins with a thought. It begins with a thought. That we don't wake up in the morning and say, Today, I'm going to go rob a bank. All right? There's a process of thinking that you get there, and it comes to the point that, okay, robbing a bank is okay. All right? So I, I want to point out that, that Eve, this was not the first time she saw the tree. All right? It had been pointed out to her by God. Don't touch that tree. We don't know how long they'd been in the garden, so I, I'm assuming they walked by the tree all the time. But it was never an issue until one day. The enemy puts a thought in her brain. It says, you know what? The fruit on that tree is pretty good. You ought to give it a try. And in her mind, she's like, ah, I shouldn't. But something deep inside said, there's, there's something really cool about this fruit. All right? God's hiding something from me. God's hiding something. And there's something on the other side of eating this fruit that is really awesome, and God doesn't want me to have it, so I'm going to pursue it anyway. As she gave in. Okay? So let me tell you how this works. In our house right now, in the cabinet, there is a bag of peanut M&Ms. I don't buy peanut M&Ms. It's my wife's indulgence. But they are in the cabinet. I know that they're there. But here's what's interesting. I walk by that cabinet all the time and never grab any. Don't even think about it. It doesn't cross my mind. I'm not, I was going to say I'm not interested. I am interested, but I don't participate. No desire. However, when my wife participates in her indulgence, she will sometimes leave the bag on the counter. And it's a whole different ballgame then. Because I'm not only interested at that point, I'm interested every time I walk past the bag. Right? It's there. It's open. It's a thought. I've had some before. This is great. I'm going to have some more. And so until I decide that I'm going to close the bag and put it back in the cabinet, I will go by 10, 15 times and grab one of those things. I know. I'm horrible. But that's, that's the truth. Okay, maybe two or three. All right. So, but, but and it's a big bag. So, you know, it's not like she's going to notice, right? So, Eve was going through this process. Passed by this tree so many times. Probably saw the, thru, the fruit but never thought about it. And then suddenly somebody comes and says, Listen, you're really missing out. You're really missing out on something big here. This is something that's going to be so satisfying to you and so awesome and so incredible. And you are going to learn more about yourself and about God and about reality. You just, you, you can't miss out. So look, look how uh, the writer describes it. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good food for food and pleasing to the eye, it, it sounded good, it looked good, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. Man, there was so much that fruit offered. It looked good. It surely was going to taste good. And it was going to give me some wisdom that I didn't have before. How do you pass up that offer? See, I, I want us to see and, and know very clearly that Jesus was, when he taught, he was very specific about, be careful what goes into your brain. 
Because whatever goes into your brain is going to lead to thoughts. And those thoughts can eventually lead to sin. James said it this way, and I'll read it so I don't mess it up. Um, Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. You see, sin begins with a thought. And what's so amazing in our culture, in our society, in our time, the enemy doesn't even have to work hard. Because we're looking at our phones all the time and new thoughts are coming. And all of a sudden a thought shows up. It's like, huh, that sounds interesting. I might pursue that thought. And we find ourselves pursuing things that we would not normally think because the thought is put into our brain. That's why it's so important as followers of Jesus that we protect what comes into our minds. And and we protect what we watch, what we read, and, and what we look at online. It's a big deal. Okay, so uh, I know that we, we know that, but, but, but sin begins with a thought. Now, here's the second thing, and this one is really a little bit harder for us to accept. When we sin, you ready? When we make the mistake, when we choose to be a disobedient, the only person we can blame is the one in the mirror. It's the only one. All right? But look what Adam and Eve did. They did what most of us do. Verse 10, uh, I'm sorry, verse 11. Uh, And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And by the way, I think that's God's giving Adam an opportunity to repent. But instead, Adam does what we would do. The man said, the woman you put here with me. And you notice what Adam does? Adam says, God, this is your fault. He doesn't blame Eve. He says, God, you did this to me. You made her look like she looks. You made her this incredible. You gave me a, a drive towards her and for who she is, and, and I want to protect her. And, and Lord, this is, you did this, God. And how many times have we gone to God and said, you know what? It, the personality you gave me, that's why I messed up. You made me like this, God. You gave me this feeling and this drive. You, you put this in me. So, God, you, you're the one to blame for this because you made me like this. Man, nothing's changed, has it? From the very first humans to us, we, we still have the same excuses. God, this is your fault. I'm, I didn't make me this way. You made me this way. Right? Well, look what Eve does. So, um, so the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? Again, providing the opportunity to come clean, to say, I blew it. But instead, verse 13, um, the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. You see, it's always somebody else's fault. Something else's fault. We live in a culture where somebody else is to blame for every mistake that I make. But, but we have to be honest and we have to be real with this reality. That when I blow it, I can't blame anybody else but me. So I'm going to help us understand how this works and, and get an idea of how it worked for Eve and how it works for you and me. And so uh, we and the staff have been reading a book by uh, John Ortberg uh, called um, Soul... 
Keeping. Keeping. Thank you. All right. And Soul Keeping is a, is a book uh, that is um, based on a Dallas Willard book. Uh, John Ortberg and Dallas Willard were very close. And so this is the uh, easy to understand version of, of, of uh, the, the celebration. No. What is it, Joel? Dallas Willard's book, Renovation of the Heart. That's it. I got it. All right. So this helps us. And so I have this chart. And so what he did is he created concentric circles. And, and Dallas Willard used to describe us having four parts. We have a will, a mind, a body, and a soul. Okay? And so this is very significant for us on how sin works in our lives. So the, he has concentric circles going out, which you will see. And the first one in the center is the will. The will for us is the ultimate final decision maker. <coughs> The will for us is the one that is full of emotions, that is full of desire, that is full of drive. The will says, okay, and I'm going to use Oreo cookies, okay? Um, and, and please hear me when I talk about Oreo cookies. I'm talking about whatever your weakness is. All right? So when I say Oreos, and if your weakness is addiction, that's your Oreo. If your weakness is greed, that's your Oreo. If, if your weakness is sexual sin, that's your Oreo. So whatever your Oreo is, that's what I'm talking about, okay? I use Oreos because I believe that one day when I go to heaven, I can eat 12 Oreos, and it won't affect me at all physically. That's one of my dreams, okay? Uh, so we have this drive in our will to have the Oreo, whatever the Oreo is. And our will te te teaches us and leads us to believe that life is going to be so much better once I have the Oreo. Satisfaction is going to be there. You're going to be so satisfied, Doug, if you eat the Oreo. You're going to find, you're going to find contentment in the Oreo, and you need to trust me. And, and the thing is, the will is so incredibly powerful because the, the, the will leads our emotions. You know, we talk about having willpower. We can, for a time, overcome with our will and have the willpower to say no. But the will always comes back to what feels the best. All right? And uh, just the, the will is just so strong. Well, the second circle is the mind. Now, the mind has the ability to control the will, but it doesn't do it very well. Right? Because the mind is logically saying, oh, the, you know the Oreo is not good for you, so don't eat it. You know, if you eat two Oreos, it's 140 calories. If you eat six Oreos, it's 140 times six. It makes no sense to eat the, all these Oreos. It makes no sense to continue down this path of using drugs. It makes no sense to keep pursuing, and pursuing this life of sexual sin. It makes no sense. And your mind logically tells you, this is wrong, don't do it. But eventually, the mind gives in to the will because the will focuses on what makes us feel better. And if it's not bad enough that the mind has to struggle with the will, the third circle is the body. And doggone it, the body and the will just work together. The body says, you know, mind, the will's right. This Oreo's going to be really good. And I'm really hungry. And it's really going to satisfy me. And again, whatever the Oreo is, the mind and the, the body and the will work together to convince the mind it's so much better if you, if you go down this road you're not supposed to. That's what happened to Eve. She was made all of these promises. 
Your stomach's going to be full. It's going to taste awesome. You're going to be satisfied. And mind, you're going to learn so much that you didn't know before. Give in to this fruit. And what happens is, is chaos ensues because the body and the will end up controlling everything. But there's an answer, and it's the fourth circle, and it's the soul. The soul is a part of us that connects to God or chooses not to. The soul tells us that I know that I need to change my life. I know I need something new, and I know that I can't fix it on my own. And the only way to do it is to have a soul that is rightly connected to God and consistently connected to God. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross daily, because it's a constant challenge. And the only thing that can overpower the will and the body is a soul that is rightly connected to God and fully dependent on him. And it's so powerful to understand this reality that this is a spiritual battle that's going on. You see, if, if God would have been standing there with Eve in the story, she wouldn't have even thought about it. No, serpent. God said no. But God wasn't around. And you see, that's why sin takes over our lives. That's why sin wins so many victories. Because the soul is not submitted to God. And so when we talk about sin and we talk about the failure of people, we, we have to understand that whatever the Oreo is, it wins victory after victory after victory after victory because the soul's not rightly connected. Okay? Now, there is this third thing, and, and this is the grand picture of everything that happened in the garden. It is really a big deal because what happened in the garden opened up the door for sin to come into the world. And what happened over time is each generation brought in more sin, and each generation made it worse. You go to their Adam and Eve's boys, one killed the other, and it just goes downhill from there. And we keep finding and keep finding and keep finding new ways to bring sin into the picture. Right? So I want to show you something today, and for those of you in the back, this is going to be hard to see, uh, but I'm sorry, it's the best I can do today. All right. So if you are not familiar, this is called three-circle evangelism. Uh, this is something that you can write on a napkin, preferably a paper napkin, and it is, it is something that can express the good news of Jesus Christ in a very powerful way. It is uh, not mine. It's not original to me. Uh, the North American Mission Board are the ones that came up with this, but it's very powerful, and, and uh, it is something that you can use in a, in a significant way. So I'm a bad artist, by the way even on a napkin. So, just letting you know. Okay. That's a circle. Thank you. Thank you. This circle, this circle is going to represent our world. Okay? Now, I think we would all agree Oops, that's an E. That our world is broken. We agree with that? I mean, can we look at how people treat each other? Can we look at last Sunday night when just down the street, three people got shot at a Super Bowl party? I'd say, wow, that's not good. Can we look at how coronavirus is starting to kill hundreds of Chinese people? Realize the world is broken. 
We look at tornadoes and hurricanes. We, we can look at how our politicians treat each other. The world's broken. It's a mess. All right? Now, here's what's crazy, is when God made the world, this is supposed to be another circle. We'll see. When God created the world, it was ideal. It was just like it was supposed to be. Adam and Eve had a really cool situation. Right? And everything was the way God designed, the way God intended, and it was an ideal situation. But then sin came into the world. And the reason that the world is broken is because humanity chose to sin. And that's where the story of Adam and Eve comes into the picture. They open the door for sin, and, and all of us have this sinful nature. This We're born with this desire to rebel. Even though we're created in the image of God and God has a better plan for us, we, we have this desire to, to run away from him as Eve did, Adam did. And so what happens is, is we live in the broken world and, and here in the broken world, we, we try to find wholeness. And we do it through all kinds of different ways. We, maybe we do it through drugs or maybe we do it through a career or maybe we do it through material things or relationships. And though those things may bring happiness for a time and may bring contentment for a time, the, the truth is they still end up at brokenness. And we try all kinds of things to heal that brokenness and to, to make it well, but it just doesn't work. And we keep falling short. So God, seeing the ideal and seeing the brokenness, realized it couldn't stay this way. So he had a perfect plan my circle's not going to have enough room. But this is a cross. And to fix the brokenness, he sent his son, who lived a perfect life in the midst of brokenness, who lived a whole life in the midst of brokenness. And he came and lived that perfect life, was killed on a cross, buried on the third day, came back to life to provide a way out of brokenness. And what he said was, is, you know, this isn't going to fix all of the problems, but it can let you live a whole life in the midst of it. And so he gave opportunity for us to connect to Jesus and thus by doing so, restore an ideal relationship with him. Now here's the problem. When we don't do that, We end up, when it's all done, being separated from God. But God said, you know what? Yeah, Adam and Eve blew it. But the truth is, if it had been anybody else, they'd have blown it too. And the world is broken and in despair. And God says, I'm the only one who can fix it. If you'll just trust me. See, so basically it comes back to there's two kinds of people in the world. There are those who live in brokenness and despair and want out but don't know how. And those of us who live in a broken world, but we found God in a relationship with him. It doesn't mean our lives are perfect. It doesn't mean we don't have problems and issues. It doesn't even mean we're not tempted. 
but it does mean our soul is rightly connected with God. And what a powerful, powerful gift. So today I just want to ask, which kind of person are you? Are you living in brokenness? Or are you finding wholeness through Jesus? Today, if you're living in brokenness and want to find wholeness, I want to invite you when we're done. Let's talk. Let's just sit down. Let's talk about it, what it means to be connected to God. Most important decision you'll ever make. Let's pray.